welcome to Introspectional. I am your host, Leticia. For our first conversation, we are talking about 2013's television series, Sleepy Hollow. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to start with this, if you listen to my intro episode, I talked about how the results of this show really inspired this podcast and inspired some of my further work. Sleepy Hollow as a series, I personally think it was kind of like this big watershed moment as far as representation of women, women of color in the sci-fi space. So I want to start off with this uh, particular show and kind of talk about what it was, what it could have been, what it wasn't, and its legacy going forward. So joining me are some amazing, amazing panelists, and I will let them introduce themselves, uh, starting with you, Yvonne. Hi, I'm Yvonne uh, McDowell. I write about pop culture. I talk about pop culture. I'm a professor of media law and media studies in Atlanta. Yeah, that's me. And Lauren? Hi, everyone. My name is Lauren Weathers. I'm a writer and a podcaster based in New Orleans. I'm the co-creator and co-host of the podcast Reclaiming Jane, which is a Jane Austen podcast for fans on the margins. But I also spent um, time as a freelance writer writing about pop culture and politics and I am very excited to be able to talk about representations of Black women specifically in pop culture because that is where I live. Yeah, so for those uh, folks who are listening, which hopefully are, this is an entire panel, all Black women. And so we have a particular stake in a lot of these stories. But I did want to kind of pull back a little bit and get a more general view of you both. So can you tell me a little bit about like your first memory or what gotten you interested in speculative fiction in the first place? Going back to the very, very beginning, like any good millennial born in the 90s, if we're including fantasy under speculative fiction, Harry Potter was my first introduction like as a small child. But as an adult, what really got me into speculative fiction was Octavia Butler and Kindred specifically. That's one of my favorite books. I have the graphic novel. I have the original version. I really loved seeing what Black authors specifically could imagine. And it got me interested in reading Afrofuturism and seeing what what universes could be created when Black women were in the author's chair and when they could really put thought and intention into imagining what Black people could be, where we've been, and including us in those imaginings of what the world can look like through fiction. So for really going back to the OG, it was a series that should not be named, but as an adult that really got me into speculative fiction, it was Octavia Butler. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. Yvonne? For me, I was a child of the 80s, not 90s. So my mother and uh, grandmother and grandfather raised me on science fiction. And not like science fiction children should be watching. My favorite movie from childhood was Robocop. (laughs) So I grew up on Robocop and Predator and all of this. I grew up on sort of hard science fiction action films. And so as I got older, I got to see, why are there no black women in these action films? And so that sort of guided me to want to write myself or people who look like me as a hero. So I eventually went to film school and studied screenwriting. For that purpose, like I still love that type of genre and that type of film. Also, my grandmother is obsessed with anything with vampires, so I started to watch vampires through watching my grandmother. I, she, we used to watch reruns of old soap operas with vampires, and so that's how I sort of got into it. From my parents and my grandparents, sort of, this is what we're watching, sit here and watch it. 
So one of my first questions is, what was your first impression of Sleepy Hollow? And one thing I wanted to do for our listeners is to remind you, like, this happened in 2013. So this is pre-Me Too, pre a lot of the social reckonings that we're dealing with right now. So you kind of have to put your mind back in that time frame to situate this properly. But yeah, do you remember seeing Sleepy Hollow initially, the poster, the trailer? Like, do you remember your thoughts on that? I remember being pretty excited about it. I was a fan of Nicole Bahari before Sleepy Hollow. I had seen her in a film called My Last Day Without You, which was sort of a small independent romantic uh, comedy. I had seen her in uh, Shame. I had seen her in some other stuff. And so I was a fan before that. So I was excited to see her in a TV show. And I was really intrigued by the sort of fish out of water concept of bringing Ichabod Crane to the present. So initially, before I started watching, I was excited about it. And so... That was sort of the first league when I was like, okay, well, I like Nicole Bahari. I like a black woman to lead on the show. And so that guided me into sort of wanting to watch it. Yeah, I was similar. I think the first place I saw it was actually on Tumblr because it was 2013 when I was actually still on Tumblr with any sort of frequency. And <laughs> kind of like Ivana mentioned earlier, being a black person who's a fan of science fiction and fantasy, you often spend a lot of time looking for yourself and being disappointed. So when I saw the first poster for the show and I saw that there was not just a Black person, but a Black woman who was the co-star, it immediately got my attention. And seeing that she got equal billing was super exciting for me. So that, that was what immediately caught my eye about Sleepy Hollow. I would have watched it for no reason other than the fact that it had a Black woman as a co-star. Yeah, I know I had a similar reaction because, you know, if you look at the posters, one thing is interesting because like even in the poster and of course in real life, Nicole Bahari is shorter physically <laughs> than Tom Mason, but still she, in a lot of the pictures, it felt like she took up equal space, which also at the time, uh, Person of Interest came out, which whether Taraji was in the poster or not was like a flip of the coin. Maybe if the sun shone in the right direction, you might see her. And when she would argue about that, she's like, I am the top built woman. Why am I not on the posters? And they were like, cause we don't care. But it was different with, with Nicole cause you saw her front and center majority of the time, which I thought was interesting in their initial uh, marketing push. So kind of given that was your first impression, you're like, okay, I'm excited to this show. This one's like front and center. You know, she's like scully to his molder. What was the thing that surprised you most when the show premiered? If you remember like the, either the first season or like the pilot episode. For me, I was most surprised. And this is sort of outside the show itself. I was surprised by how well it did in mm -hmm. ratings. Like I was genuinely surprised that it was at one point Fox's number one show. And so to see that was exciting. I was also surprised by, and I'm not talking only about the first season. She was, she was the lead, right? It was in many ways her show. And, and yeah, he was sort of a co-lead, but I thought she was sort of the guiding action and he was there as the sort of support for her during that first year. And so that also surprised me. So we had the number one show on Fox for the first year and it is very much centered around in fantasy around a Black woman. That in and of itself was very shocking to me, I think. Yeah, I think I am similar. Again, speaking only as season one, because I'm sure we'll get into later seasons and there are drawbacks later. But <laughs> as far as season one went, I was also really pleasantly surprised by the fact that it centered around Nicole's character of Abby, because I'm used to, if we get representation at all, it's usually as the 
best friend character or somebody who's in a supporting role to the white character who's at the center of the show who it's built around. So it was a pleasant surprise to me to see that she had so much power within the plot and that so much of it centered around her and her character and that she was really integral to how that first season went. It was really her arc because you have that that skepticism arc and that going into the supernatural world and it being a part of, of the journey. And also, you know, when you have the supernatural stories of like the person who believes and the person who does it or, or the person who kind of like needs encouragement, like you said, typically the black character is the encourager, not the person who is like, this is this is my journey to move forward. And I know for me, one of the first things I noticed that was interesting about Sleepy Hollow in like its very first episode, that I'm like, wait, in the first, we'll say 20 minutes when Ichabod is, is in jail and Abby is the key to his release. I'm just like, mm. we're going there? Okay. You know, and that power dynamic seeming to be purposely flipped on its head. I was like, that that I found impressive. And then Sleepy Hollow as a town was amazingly multicultural for a tiny town in the middle of New York. I was like, interesting. And Abby was the clear main, like, love interest, desirous woman in the town, which was also unusual if you will as far as like the way we're normally presented i mean and you see so you had uh john cho and you had uh who was the latinx dude who was her ex him too orlando jones well orlando jones was her boss he was an intern he was her boss but no no, no not intern but as far as representation goes yeah right 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 orlando jones you had jenny you you know this town was still like American small town, but clearly had a diverse population, which I felt was an interesting choice for, for Fox to make. It also made you feel like, oh, I could live here and this is possible, you know, with all this like weird stuff happening. Uh, well, some, something that I guess I found surprising in retrospect is the way Black women are positioned in speculative fiction as police officers. Looking at Abby, looking at Person of Interest, looking at Watchmen, oftentimes, and I just thought about this, Black women are put in the role of the cop. So they sort of have to, and I don't know why necessarily that is, but looking back at Sleepy Hollow, I found it kind of interesting when you talk about how she had to save him. She had to be the reason he was out of jail. Well, that's a really good point because that goes back into the stereotype of Black women are the, the strong character who fixes everything. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that has something to do with when we are imagined into these worlds, we're still imagined as somebody who's there to fix everything, whether it's in a role as a police officer or the emotional support or what have you why are we why are we still in a role where it's our job to fix something yeah i think that's interesting and also in one of my favorite shows gargoyles very similar yeah. you know, alisa maza she's a cop but there's also the way we position the police in our society because i also feel like there's the well this is a position of power and so mm-hmm. this is what you know this this black female character has, which you might not necessarily have otherwise, mm-hmm. or a level of respect that you might not have otherwise without the job. Yeah. You know, so so it's this really interesting double-edged sword. And, and for I think all of these reasons that Yvonne, I know when we initially talked, you said like, yes, how Super Hollow burned bright initially, and then it just fell into tatters. But when you talk about it kind of 
burning bright for a moment? Like, what, what do you mean by that? I mean that, like you said, I think that the storytelling for that first season was, outside of anything else, it was just really tight. Like, they understood the mythology, they understood who these characters were, and for 13 episodes, it was a really good show. Like, right from the beginning to that last twist at the end, you understood the mythology of why Ichabod was that, you understood how he and Abby connected and why they had to connect, and it was just sort of excellent, really, the storytelling in and of itself was really well done. I don't think that happened the last three years, necessarily, but I think for the first year, it was really well done. And maybe that was because they had 18 episodes and they didn't know how to stretch it. And maybe they should have stuck to a tight 13. Maybe that was some stuff, which we'll probably talk about going on behind the scenes. But for the first year, I felt the show structure was just perfect. I thought it was a really well done 13 episodes. Uh, What do you think, Lauren? I agree. So I didn't necessarily watch like the initial run. It came out when I was doing too much work, to be honest, and not watching a lot of TV. So I ended up watching it after the season had come out and then watching it a little bit piecemeal because by the time I started watching, discontent had already started to brew amongst the Sleepy Hollow fandom. So then I went in a little bit more skeptical than I would have had I started watching on premiere day. But I also... I mean, it was gripping after the first episode. I was ready to binge watch that entire season because the premiere was just so well-written and it set up everything perfectly. And I was, I was hooked. I was in, but I wasn't able to fully enjoy it, I think, because I knew what was coming. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's really interesting. Just like the dynamic between being in the premiere and kind of, again, this is 2013. So binge watching while a thing was not as much a thing as it is now. Mm -hmm. So the difference between watching something week to week on a schedule and how that Mm -hmm. affects your perception of something and how it develops over time, as opposed to, you know, where so many things are in the catalog now, Netflix, Disney plus, whatever, and you binge but you know, ooh, this is going to happen. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I'm not as emotionally invested, which is a, a totally different dynamic, which I think is interesting. I somewhat got to the end, but not really. And a lot of people jumped off the train at some point in time. So I'm going to ask, when did you jump off the train? Did you jump off the train and why? <laughs> I did. I really started watching like as... Season three was airing was when I started watching season one, which was probably a poor, not a poor choice because I didn't know at that point, but it was unlucky. But by the time I got to season two, it felt like Abby had been sidelined in her own show. And I think the inclusion of Katrina made that a little bit more difficult because the writers wanted to focus on the dynamics between Ichabod and Katrina and less on what could have been with Ichabod and Abby. And it felt like she was suddenly less important in a show that she had anchored in season one. And I could feel myself becoming less interested in the show. And then of course, because I was watching as season three was airing, by the time season three was over and everybody was furious, I had no desire to continue watching the show. So I just quit and cut my losses. Like I just, I'm not even going to bother. Yeah, I stopped watching as soon as Abby's death happened. Her death hit me in a way I don't think I've ever been angered by any death on television ever because she said, I've done enough to service you. I'm happy with dying now. Like those were her words. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. So I was so angry and I'm still angry when I think about it that I just had to sort of cut my losses completely because at that point I had watched all, I had watched every week, all three seasons 
even when I didn't like it anymore. But that was the point where I was like, okay, well, I'm done with this because you can even give her, who was the lead character season one, at this point, she's just become in service to this other character and I just, I couldn't do it anymore. Yep. Same, same. I was committed season one, more committed, but but started to lessen off during season two and then season three hit and it was just like, so you were going to isolate her she's going to come back and then you're going to kill her what and not only did she die she died saying i serviced you like do you you not have your own life to live that's just so insulting it it it, it is and then also thinking about yes abby was very much in anchor in season one and it wasn't just her relationship with ichabod you also had her relationship with jenny you also had her relationship with her but like all of these relationships helped us as an audience navigate what is this world of sleepy hollow and then you have this switch where it's just like wait she's in the background she shows up occasionally it, and it causes like this 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 hurt which i find interesting i feel like it's, it's somewhat of a festering wound because there's something about nicole bahari that was recent and someone mentioned rage around sleeping hollow or saying like i don't want to do this if someone's going to sleepy hollow this thing and i'm like there's a part of me that's really happy that the rage around sleepy hollow just doesn't seem to die just we haven't forgotten. <laughs> One thing that Nicole Bahari recently revealed about her time on Sleepy Hollow is that there were definitely times where she was not treated well on set in a variety of instances. Do you think that her treatment came across during the show's airing? That like, even if we were not aware of the specifics, that there was, did it come across that like something was amiss? I think you could see it in how her character was sidelined in the plot. I don't think necessarily, you could tell there was something going on in the writer's room, but I don't think we could tell specifically like Nicole Bahari, the person is being mistreated on set. I think you could tell that there was something that was happening behind the scenes in the writer's room to where they would decide to sideline this character, but not really what specifically that was just based on watching the show. Afterward, I know when Nicole Bahari came out when she was doing her interviews for Miss Juneteenth and said that she had been mistreated on the show, there were a couple of writers who then came forward and corroborated that account and said there were only so many of us on set writers of color who would step forward to kind of stand behind her and said there were only so many of us on set, we would try and put forward these ideas and we get shot down, we can vouch for her mistreatment. So I wonder, now knowing that retrospectively that there were writers who were trying to put forward ideas and were also getting shot down and saying that that couldn't happen, what that overall work environment was like during filming for any of the people of color who were on set and how that contributed to how the show was written, how Nicole Bahari was treated, her eventual exit from the show, how all of that combined. Yeah, I think you definitely saw it in the storyline. Like for the last couple of years, Sleepy Hollow filmed in Atlanta and I used to work in film and television, so I knew a few people on the set. And so you didn't necessarily know how she was being treated on the set itself, but you could definitely sort of see through the writing what was happening. Right, you could see that they viewed her as, all right, we're going to sort of give you this storyline that doesn't really make any sense. The third season storyline in and of itself was sort of like, all right, we're going to sort of sideline you in this way because we want to sort of push the character of Ichabod. And 
that I guess just sort of came down to what was in the writer's room and who was running the showrunner. He wanted to focus on that character, and as a result, other characters got sidelined. And it, 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 it was a shame because although we didn't know the extent of the mistreatment, we could sort of see tension in the storyline and how they were written. And there were multiple showrunners, weren't there? Yeah, yeah, they 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 went through a couple changes. Yeah, Yeah. so that's actually something Orlando Jones mentioned that like the season one showrunner who had a very specific vision for the show was different from season two. And so uh, he talked about his exit from Sleepy Hollow, which was different from his exit from American Gods, where like in Sleepy Hollow, he had a say in how he left. He was like, okay, you're coming in, you've got a new vision, but the show that you are creating is not the show I signed up for, mm. so I'm going to orchestrate my exit, which is why he's like, yeah, that that did happen in Sleepy Hollow, but I don't have as many issues, but that's just like him as an actor, but there was definitely a change. And Nicole Bahari also mentioned that both she and Tom Mason got sick at the same time. But the way that they were treated was completely different with him being allowed to be offset and her kind of taking then more work and then that actually resulting in her developing an autoimmune disease. And now that we know more, and again, this is an interview that she's had where she's like, now we have Me Too, now we have more things about human resources and we have more access you know, that could have changed her experience. But she's like, you know how you go through something difficult, but you're like, I am who I am because of what I went through. So I'm not saying I'd go back, but there's a question of how do you prevent or protect, you know, people of color, women of color in these spaces where there's so much power dynamics and so many things at stake. And then there's the story that we get because of it, you know, do we as the audience get a positive story or do we get something that feels a little wonky at some point because someone's not being treated right? You know, not saying that there's a question in that, but it's just an interesting framing around what took place. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned what story we get as an audience, but then what story also is attached to the people who who work on that show and who were forced to have that exit, like Nicole Bahari being labeled difficult or hard to work with and just the racial dynamics of black women being labeled difficult and hard to work with or speak volumes and was she hard to work with or did she advocate for herself and who gets that label and and that's the question also it also reminded me of janet hubart and her experience with the fresh prince and she's like i've had a 30-year sentence in like actor jail because you said i was hard to work with and Nicole Pari kind of had a similar experience while well, a shorter sentence, if you will. And what does that do to, to representation, to what people think they can achieve and what is possible? I don't want to sort of presume that this would automatically change stuff, but I think that one of the issues with Sleepy Hollow and in television in general is that the executives running the show and by and large tend to be not people of color or not people who sort of represent the people on the show. I don't want to veer off too far, but I read an interesting article with Candace Patton, right? And she was like, this is the first time she got to wear her hair natural when they got a black showrunner. So having people behind the scenes who sort of understand the situation changes the dynamic in many ways. It changes how you interact with your, how your coworkers interact is expected of them. And if you don't have that person running the ship who understands that, who has in many ways been there, you're going to get a bad situation anyway. So I think one way is to say, yeah, we want representation on screen. I love seeing a Black woman in a fantasy show. But at the same time, it would be nice to have a Black woman writing the show. 
because other you know with a show you end up with sort of uh representation without any meat to it it's yeah representation just, without like authenticity authenticity exactly yeah, I know, like, uh, Candace Patton, like, she mentioned something in The Flash where they were like, yeah, we're celebrating Christmas and we bought grandma's famous noodle casserole. And she was like, oh, people don't have noodle casserole? No. This is- <laughs> I mean, I think that's what ended up on the show, but she's like, I-, I wanted to go back and be like, grandma's famous sweet potato pie, grandma's famous collard greens, but, like, if the writer's in the room, one, don't know, two, don't research, and three, think that they can speak for someone without doing the work mm-hmm. then you end up with that so finally my last question is what do you think is the legacy of this particular show of sleepy hollow and its lasting effects both you know positive and negative like it's 2020 the show premiered in 2013 and i still think it's worth talking about but what do you think because i feel like there there are both positive and negative effects of, of the show kind of being in our lives and being presented oh i think there are positives and negatives to the legacies i mean ultimately the legacy as a whole i think it it left a bad taste in audiences mouths just because of how it ended and it was disappointing to watch it lose support because of the creative choices that the showrunners and the writers room made for their characters and just how the show was going to go but at the same time I think it was also such a big moment for like speculative fiction on television and for representation regards to the fact that it was really only representation on the screen and not behind the camera, as Yvonne mentioned, because I just remember the level of excitement when the show was coming out and how much it meant to fan communities when it first aired. And that's the piece of the legacy that I would want to hold on to, not so much what the show became, but the positive energy and the excitement and the great run that that initial run of episodes in season one had. I think that's the legacy that I would want to focus on in Sleepy Hollow is showing what can be done when you have a showrunner who has their head in the right spot, when you have a great writer's room, when you have really good chemistry between two actors that can continue to carry the show. That's what I would want to focus on and less so like the Game of Thrones-esque disappointing ending. I agree. I was at DragonCon, I think it might have been when they were filming the third season or whatever, and Nicole Bahari came and she got like this little room standing ovation that Tom Mason didn't necessarily get. And she was shocked by it. So. I hope that the legacy is that when people are allowed to be sort of be seen in the spaces, there's an audience for it. And that even though it didn't end the way we all would like, I still greatly appreciate the character of Abby, right? I greatly appreciate what she did for fantasy. And I think that that can sort of be a legacy to sort of carry on. Right? And, and hopefully it will continue in the future. Awesome. Well, Thank you ladies so much for this conversation. It has been fantastic. Um, so excited to share this space with you all. Where can uh, people find you on your next projects and any last thoughts? You can find me at MovieYM on Twitter. My next project right now, I'm writing a TV pilot, working on a script about love at comic book conventions and, and just teaching. So, But you can find me at MovieYM Hopefully it will be less angry political talk in the future, which is what it is right now. People can find me on Twitter. I'm at Lauren Weathers. There's no A in my last name. It's not A like Weatherman. It's it's not weather like weather not either. So it's very confusing. It's just W-E-T-H-E-R-S. I'm usually doing most of my yelling on Twitter. So you can find me there or you can 
find me as half of the Reclaiming Jane podcast, and that one is at Reclaiming Jane. We have episodes released every other Wednesday. Um, so you are welcome to follow my personal account if you'd like to hear me yell about pop culture all the time, or the Reclaiming Jane podcast account if you want to be updated on podcast episodes, or if you just really love Jane Austen memes. I'm having a lot of fun creating those. Awesome. Well, thank you, Yvonne. Thank you, Lauren. This has been a great conversation. Like I said before, uh, please join us again on Introspectional and everyone have a wonderful day.